So today, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible that you have, or you want to take one from the seat back in front of you, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 12, going from one end to the other. Uh, We are going to begin a new study looking at the life of Abraham. Now, I'm not sure many people realize this, but next to Jesus Christ, Abraham may be the most influential person in the history of the world. He is often referred to as the father of faith. I say this because the three largest religions in the world, though I don't usually like to refer to Christianity as a religion, but we'll just go with that for this this point, they, they all start with Abraham and his faith in God. Christianity, the Jews and Muslims, and it makes up, who make up more uh, than half of the world, all look to Abraham as the start. He is considered the father of faith. Now, this does not mean Abraham had a perfect faith, not by any means, as we will come to find out. For anyone to be somebody who lives by faith It's not an easy thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do to live by faith. That's why we're calling this series The Difficult Journey of Faith because it is a difficult journey. And any of you who have been a Christian uh, for any length of time, you know what a difficult journey it can be and still is. And it was the same for Abraham. He did not travel an easy and straight road. He experienced unexpected detours and struggles And sometimes his faith was strong and and he brought glory to God. He was faithful. And other times his faith was weak and he sinned and caused problems. But through his difficult journey, we see the promises of God fulfilled. We see the faithfulness of God be steadfast. And in a much greater way than Abraham ever expected. God wants to do the same in our lives. In my life, and in yours. He calls us to the the same journey of faith that in the same way are based on his promises. In fact, we, we should want to know what it means to live by faith because James tells us that without faith, in fact, in Hebrews, excuse me, without faith, it's impossible, impossible to please God. Impossible. But that doesn't change the fact that the journey of faith is never easy. But as we trust in God, we will see his faithfulness come through. And that's my desire for this series, that wherever you need to grow and be challenged in becoming a person of faith, that you will feel the Holy Spirit moving on to you, that you will sense and understand his call on your life. And as you trust in his promises, you will see him do through you more than you can begin to even imagine. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. So before we get into it, let me set the context of the series. Last year, we we started um, in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And we saw that God created the world, including man, and they had right relationship with God. And then we see the serpent come in and deceive Adam and Eve, and they disobey God, and sin entered the world. And then we read about the effects of sin and how it reached into the earth and started with Cain and Abel. And then it reached a tipping point, a boiling point, if you will, when the evil got so bad that God said to Noah, look, I'm gonna set a flood. I'm wiping them all out. Build an ark, save your family. 
And even after that, even though God promised after that was all done, never to flood the earth again, we see evil continue to rise. Man continue to disobey God. And once again, it reached another boiling point in, in Genesis 11, where instead of spreading out across the earth and multiplying, man said, hey, let's stick together where it's safe and comfortable and let's build a tower so that we may become like God. And so God comes down to earth and he confuses the languages. And then as we get to the last part of Genesis 11, we see a, a genealogy unfold. And we see in that genealogy, the birth of a man named Abram. That was his name before God changed it to Abraham. We see that he was married to a woman named Sarai and that they had no children for she was barren. Now that catches us up. It brings us to chapter 12, where today we will see the first interaction, recorded interaction between God and Abram. Genesis 12, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went. And the Lord had told him, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed for Haram. Verse five, and Abram took his Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered and all the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Now, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place at Shechem to the oak of, uh, to the oak of Moreh, and at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Verse seven, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. He worshiped the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going to Negev, which was a region in the land. This is the word of the Lord. So let's just recap what we, we read in case you're not familiar with the story. God appears to a man named Abram. He says, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your land. I want you to leave your family and you're gonna go somewhere new. When you do this, I'm gonna make you a great nation. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna protect you. And through this promise I'm making you, I'm gonna bless the entire earth. So at 75, while all the people around him are getting ready to take cruises, you know, he gets his whole family, his wife, his nephew, his possessions, all of his people, and they start on their journey. And then when they come to the land of Canaan, God says, look, see this land you're passing by? This is what's gonna be given to your descendants. And in response, Abram built an altar and worshiped God. And there you have the first nine verses of chapter 12. And, and as we focus today on these first nine verses, there are some beautiful realities about God presented here beautiful realities about God and, and how they impact the difficult journey 
of faith that every Christian is called to. I pray that, and I think, and I pray that they're gonna be an encouragement to us today. So I wanna talk about a couple of them. The first one that I saw that I loved was God is a God, hear me out now, who seeks us out, who approaches us. He does not wait for us to come to him. He comes to us. And this is so important because as a pastor, I talk to a lot of people and I feel like I'm so far from God and I got to go back and find him or I'm too far away from him. Where in reality, when we read the truths of the Bible, he comes to us. I mean, look how it says, the Lord said to Abram in Genesis 1. It implies that God initiated this relationship. God, here's, Abram, hey, God, this is what I want you to do. Here's what I'm gonna do. And we're not actually sure Abram was completely following God and God alone at this time. We know from the book of Joshua that his father, Terah, worshiped other gods. Abram would have been brought up in this. So it is reasonable for us to wonder, was Abram fully devoted to the one true God? We cannot know for sure, but what we can be sure of is that God does not wait for us to come to him. He comes to us. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his, his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. It does not say God shows his love for us that when we sent up a request, when we pressed 911, when we prayed and asked for his help, no, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we know from John that the Holy Spirit was sent, and one of the jobs, the many jobs that the Holy Spirit does, it was to convict the world of sin, to make us aware of our need for Christ. God is a God who seeks us out. If you ever feel like God is not paying attention to you, that he has forgotten about you, it's just a feeling. God always is seeking us out. This is why no one can ever feel like they've wandered too far from God. And when a God came to me when I was a teenager and I, and I felt like he was calling me to become a, a preacher, even though I didn't really fully know what it meant, I was not living for God seven days of the week. I was living for God one day of the week. Anybody guess what today that was? Yeah, Sunday. Man, you guys are smart. Other six days, I was living for me. And he still came and said, I want you to preach the gospel. God is a God who loves to call. He loves to call. He loves to call every man, woman, and child. Man, I'm telling you, God must have been so ecstatic when all the mobile companies went to unlimited calling. Saved him so much money because he is always reaching out to touch someone. AT&T ain't got nothing on him. Some of you are not old enough to remember that advertisement. I mean, the Bible is still full of story after story after story after story of God calling people. You don't read the Bible, ever see a story where God's sitting there and someone's like, God, can I do something for you? And he's like, oh man, I forgot you were there. My bad. He was always calling. God is a God who calls. All we have to do is respond. Respond. Pick up the phone. Say, yes, Lord. 
Man, for some of you today, I was praying, like I pray, I know, I ain't thinking anybody specific, but based on the number of people can be coming in this building today, that there gotta be people right, right now. God is calling you to do something. He's calling you and you are not picking up the phone. And, I, and I'm praying today through this message, through this Holy Spirit, today is the day you, you're gonna realize the call that God is putting in your life. All you gotta do is respond. But that is the hard part, isn't it? Like if responding to God's calls in our life was not hard, we would not need to preach messages, would we? Because we would all just go and do it. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, God has never called me to anything. That is not true. That is your insecurity. That is hurt in your life that you haven't worked through. It, it, it is a, um, it is a and, and I don't mean this in a rude way, but it is an ignorant understanding of the Bible. If anything, God always calls the most messed up people. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever read the biographies of the people calls? They are not awesome people, right? They are probably the people who would annoy us, people we would not hire to do most menial jobs for us, but he calls. And and he doesn't call just in divine moments of special revelation like what probably happened with Abram. You're like, this is bigger than that. He calls us to many, many things. We're just always so busy looking for the new revelations of God, the new shiny revelations of God that we are not paying attention to the revelation that he's already given us. If you open up your Bible and you read it, he calls you to many things in your life. Many things. But regardless where the call comes from, whether it be the Bible, the Holy Spirit, he's using somebody else to speak into your life or some other divine special revelation, responding to God's call, like I feel like 99% of the time is difficult. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. Let's go back to Genesis 12, verse one. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I mean, look at what God asked Abraham to do. Leave your home, leave your family, leave your security. I want you to just imagine yourself, God calling you up, you pick up your cell phone, says God, you answer, he goes, I want you to leave everything that makes you comfortable right now. All your plans that you were planning, leave them. Where am I going, God? I'll tell you when you get there. And I, was, and I got this scary thought. And I was like, oh, I hope this isn't God. I was, I was writing this message. I was like, if God came to me and he said, I want you to leave West Milford. Like, I would love to say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. But the thought, but I gotta be honest, I don't think that would be me. The thought of having to leave what is the first place in my adulthood that has felt like home. To leave what is the first place that Maria and I would say, honestly, is our family. It just, it like seems impossible to do. But God has no problem asking this of you. He has literally no problem asking you to drop everything that gives you comfort and that matters to you for his call. No problem whatsoever. He will not think twice about it. The Bible is full of example after example of God asking people to leave all their comfort, all their security to follow him. God is a God who calls us out of comfort. Let me say it again. He is a God who calls us out of comfort. This is why being a Christian is so hard. 
Some of you sitting here, he, either he's already come to you or he's coming to you now or he will come to you and he's gonna say, look, I know you're comfortable, but we're, that's over with. I'm calling you to something else. And he doesn't do it just in like big, big ways. Like they're, they're, he does it in small ways. Ways that may not make us move or, or change jobs, but they'll be painfully uncomfortable, none the least. Sometimes he'll call you in a store to go up to a complete stranger and tell them about Jesus. Sometimes he'll tell you, I want you to go serve in this ministry that you have no desire to go serve in. You don't even want to. I remember I had somebody come up to one of my churches and go, pastor, I'd like to sign up for kids ministry. I'm like, oh, I didn't know you, you love kids. I don't. Honest to God, this guy cracks me up. I don't like kids at all. Then why are you doing this? God wants me to. I'm like, are you sure about that? He ended up being awesome for the Lord. God will call you out of your... He'll call you. He has a call. He won't even call you. If you have children, your call is to disciple your children. A huge call on our lives that we often overlook. He'll call you, like Romans 12, to be at peace with those around you. We don't like to be at peace with those around us if we're not at peace because it's hard work. It's uncomfortable work, isn't it? We'd rather just leave their presence. Man, some some of you, you might be in the Bible. I pray you're in the Bible and you're reading and you're sensing God's calling you to do something and you're struggling with it because you feel like it's gonna make things harder for you. This is why answering the call of God is so hard. We don't like hard. We want easy And not only the call of God calls out of our comfort, but it also challenges our desire to have control in our lives. Look at this in Genesis 12, one again. Go from your country, kindred, your father's house to the land, once again, that I will show you. In other words, I am not even going to tell you where you are going. You are on a need to know basis. And Abram, you don't need to know. Sometimes God says, start walking in this direction and that is all you get. And I hate it. <laughs> I'm just, and I know you do too because we love feeling control. And when he tells us to go out and step out in faith and do something or, or follow a command of his word it, 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 that we don't want to do, it makes us feel uh, vulnerable. It makes us feel afraid because we don't know what's going to happen. Once again, this is why being a Christian is the most difficult thing you can ever do because God has no problem at all taking us out of our comfort zones and sending us in a direction where we do not feel like we are in control. Mm. Anybody hearing me this morning? Most of us, we need to see where we're going to land before we jump. We're like the African Impala who can like literally jump crazy distances, but they're kept in zoos by very short fences. Why? Because they do, the the zookeepers keep the greenery just enough that they can't see the other side. They can't see where their feet will land. So they won't jump, even though it's completely within their abilities to do so. We are the same way. 
But the call, God, the call of God says, no, no, that's not how it works. Okay? You're going to leap, and then you're going to know when you're going to land when you hit it. And we don't like that. This is some, one of the reasons that some people, in fact, I was just talking to a guy the other night at a hotel, and I was talking to him about God, and he was like, I, I, I just rather be in control. Because essentially what he's saying without realizing is I rather have faith in myself rather than having it in God. Because that's what it takes to live this kind of life, to answer the call of God, is it takes faith. It takes faith to say, okay, God, you know where I'm going to land, so... Now, what's faith? Hebrews 11, chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith means that we believe God to the point that we will do what he tells us to do. And I want to make sure I emphasize the second part of this because far too many so-called Christians say, yeah, I believe in God, thinking that makes them a follower of God. But belief is, that doesn't make faith. Belief does not equal faith because if belief equaled faith, we wouldn't need two different words for them. So what else makes faith? Genesis 12, four gives us the answer. First nine words. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. So Abraham went. Faith starts with belief, but it ends with obedience. Faith, this is how you know, faith equals obedience. That's what it is. If you are obedient to God, that is a person of faith. Abraham went forward, not because it like made sense. He was comfortable probably, had good lands, servants, lots of probably animals. So it wasn't because it made sense, not because it was easy, not because it seemed the most feasible way to raise a family, but simply God said, go. And he went, man, I would love, I don't even want to say this. I don't want to say what I'm about to say because already there's a voice in my head that says God's going to do this if you say this, so I don't want to say it. I'm going to say it anyway. I still don't want to say it. (laughs) I would love to be the kind of person that if God says go, I would be willing to go. I still feel anxiousness saying that. <laughs> to be honest. This is the essence of faith. It's obedience. Hebrews 11.8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Faith equals obedience. You want to know if you're a person? Who's a person of faith? Do you have faith in God? Are you a Christian? It means that you are obedient to God. Now, this doesn't apply, once again, just in big ways, but even in everyday little things. Like this week, I was studying for our next men's study. We're going through 1 Peter. And next week, we're covering verses 14 and 15. And it talks that, uh, Peter reminds us that we're called to be holy. That means we're called to be set apart. We're called to be different than the world. We're called to do our part to become like Christ. 
So someone who has faith in God, someone who is a Christian is going to have a desire to answer that call and they will do their part to become holy in their lives. Now, does this mean we're perfect? No, no way. But it means that there is a pattern in our lives, a pattern of obedience in our lives to the word of God. Faith in God equals obedience to God. Far too long, far too many of us goes, do I believe in God? Now James says, yeah, good, great for you. Even the demons believe that. When we really should be asking, am I obedient to God? And I'm praying in my life and I'm praying in yours, anywhere where you're not obedient to God, you'll see it now. Some of you, you're not obedient in your jobs. Some of you, you're not obedient in your marriages. Some of you, you're not obedient in your relationship with him. Sometimes people, you're not obedient in what God calls you to do with your money or with your time or with your skills, whatever it may be. I pray you will see it and you will repent. You look at the the, the direction that God is calling you to go and you start walking. Are you with me, church? Now, sometimes, and I felt like this when I was studying this, that we, and it's what brought it into my mind, is we look at the people of the Bible as some kind of rock stars, like superhuman people of faith, right? Like we look at Hebrews 11, list out like the hall of heroes of the faith, people that we feel like we could never be like. But I suspect that if we spent any time with any of these people that we think are heroes of the faith, we would see they are regular people just like you and me. Some of them might even just annoy us. They have the same sin in them that we do in us. So we have the same ability to follow God as they did. So if that's a true statement, then we should want to know what gave Abraham the ability to pick up his stuff, to pack up his stuff, and to go. What is the key that unlocks this kind of obedience? Because if we, and this is a good key to know, because if we really held on to this key, and I know some of us claim we do, but we don't because we're living in disobedience in more and more areas of our life. If we really believed, if we really held on to this key, we wouldn't have areas of disobedience in our lives. We'd be willing to get out of our comfort zones. We'd be willing to give up control. The answer, the key, the promises of God. The promises of God, that's it right there. That is what gave Abram what he needed to do to move forward. Genesis chapter 12, verses two and three. God says, I will make you a great nation, his promise. I will bless you, his promise. I will make your name great, his promise. I will bless those who bless you, his promise. I will curse those who curse you, his promise. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, his promise. God says, this is what I'm gonna do. God says, okay, Abraham's like, man, I gotta leave all of this. And God said, that's what's happening. That's what I'm gonna do. And he's like, man, if that's what God's gonna do, then I can leave this. God's promises is the fuel for our faith. When we feel hesitation, when we feel fear, when we feel anxiety, when we don't have hope, it is his promises that we cling to to pull us to where we need to go. Because when God calls us, if you were like me, I immediately start thinking about what we have. 
I think about my ability, I, I think about my confidence, my skill level, uh, my experiences, my knowledge, and literally all of it's irrelevant. All of it. The promise of God are not about our abilities. They are about his. Last week, Tim, when he closed out Revelation, he gave an announcement you may have missed, and he said, essentially, and I'm not going to go into detail, so ask me later, you can go by, or you can go watch it next week, is he says, we as a church, we're praying through starting up a school next year, 2024. And I remember the first time this idea was shared, and I was like, has anybody looked at our facilities? We are not the biggest church in the world. How can we fit children here? Anybody seen our budget? Like our budget for this year? Like we're like down 14 grand from our budget to our giving. I'm like, we don't got money for this. Notice what I did in those first two statements. It was about what we have. It's not, not what we do. But nowhere is the Bible about us. It's always about God. And when he says, I'm gonna do something, He's going to do it. Numbers 23, it says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Jeremiah 32, 27, he says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? As Corey Ten Boom said so well, never be afraid. Listen, oh, this is so good. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I know we're not Pentecostal, but I need an amen. amen. I'm telling you. Every time God calls you, there is a promise to fuel that call. And there are times in the Bible where he, promise, he calls us to things, but the promises are right there. They're in other places in the Bible. For example, God has promised to supply all our needs. Matthew 6, Philippians 4. God has promised to finish the work he has started in us. Philippians 1, God promised that all things, good and bad, work out for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, Romans 8. God promised comfort in our trials, 2 Corinthians 1. And Jesus promised eternal life to those who trust him in John 4. And this is just a handful of the promises of God we find in the Bible. Just like a handful. For every time God calls us to something, there is a promise that covers it. Do you understand what a grace that is by God? He did not have to put promises in there. He could have said, do this, do that, do this, and do this. That's it. But he said, no, no, let me give you some assurances. Let me give you some hope. Let me give you some strength. Promises of God. The problem in our lives is we don't cling to those promises. We spend so much time looking in the mirror at what we can do or what we have or what we don't have or what we can't do, and we hardly spend any time in his word looking at his promises. Now, one thing I love is that when we are obedient to God, not only is it a blessing to us, it's a blessing to others. The Bible from cover to cover shows people being obedient to God and then blessing others. And we've preached on several of them. There, there's Daniel, there's Paul, 
There's Jonah, Nehemiah, Ruth, Noah, just to name a few. And then in Genesis 12, Abram. He says here in verse three, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now he couldn't have understood this fully, but as the rest of the Old Testament unfolds, we begin to understand that through Abram's family, through his descendants, through, through the Jews, God was gonna send a savior in Jesus Christ. And it all started here. And seeing how God works through people's obedience, it, it just, it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder, like, as, as a church, as we're obedient to God, as I'm obedient to God, as each of you are obedient to God, what incredible things is he planning to do that you cannot see? That you may never see? And I think, because Hebrews 11 talks about a lot of these people that walked out in faith, they never saw what God did. Abraham never saw Jesus. He never saw the fulfillment. And I think when you begin to focus on this, on the possibilities, it, it, we become less concerned with what God is, is telling us to leave behind because we're focused on what God could be bringing. I love this. I don't remember who said it, but someone said, when it comes to God, obedience often means leaving one thing in order to receive something else better. And did Abraham not receive something so much better? He received the knowledge that God used him for whatever reason God chose him to bring about salvation for the world. And I believe that God wants to do the same in our lives. And so I'm praying that every single one of us will be people that when God says go, we'll start packing and we'll start walking. We won't need to be people that know every, need to know everything before we're obedient. That doesn't mean we like don't go to brothers and sisters in Christ and say, hey, look, I think God's pressing me to do this. Now listen, if it's in the Bible, like 1 Peter 3, 7, God calls us to honor our wives. Men, you do not need to go and pray about that one. <laughs> right? If the Bible says it, you don't need to pray about it. You don't need to seek the Holy Spirit. You just need to do it. But there's sometimes where we think God's pulling us to do things that we're just not sure, right? And we're like, we want to be sure. And so we'll go to other brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's okay. Will you pray with me? I want to make sure. But some of us, we're just making obedience too complicated. We're, all, we're hoping that, that someone's going to give us a compelling reason to do something other than what we know God's telling us to do. We're hoping to find a way, and this, you know what, and this is easy, I'm going off script real quick. When we don't want to make amends with somebody who's angered us or hurt us and we know God's calling us to, we will call people, trying to find people who get on our side. Be like, yes, kick them out of your lives because then we don't have to go do the hard stuff. Some of us, we're trying to find easy ways of doing things instead of facing hardship and sacrifice. We're, we're, some of us, we're really hoping, we won't say that long, that if we, we, we just delay long enough, God will change who he wants to use. 
Some of us, what we're waiting to do is to feel good before we'll move forward. We're waiting to feel like butterflies and rainbows and peace before we'll do something. Have you seen the things that God calls it? Did Jesus have butterflies and rainbows and fairy feelings? No, he's like, God, get me out of this. If I'll do it. I'll do it, but if there's another way. Charles Swindle, he said this, the Lord wants us to trust in God's faithful care and to rest in his unfaltering power. The time for us to obey has come. Amen, church.